Welcome to Ticking Stock with Kelly McMillan. If the name sounds like a business show to you, then you've got it all wrong. Kelly McMillan is the principal of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks and will talk about shooting for fun, competition, hunting, and self-defense. Now, here is your host, Kelly McMillan. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. I'm your host. And for the next hour, we're going to talk about just about everything related to firearms. Um, got a couple of great guests, and I can't wait to uh, to get into that. But um, first off, I want to thank everybody for kind of uh, sitting through all the noise and background noise and everything uh, from the show that we did at SHOT Show. Uh, I, I thought our guests were awesome, and I, uh, you know, if you took the time to listen to it and could put up with that, uh, great information that we got from uh, the two guests that we had. So uh, we're back in the studio. Uh, we're actually trying a new process here. Uh, we're actually broadcasting on Zoom, uh, which is kind of like a go-to-meeting and can can share uh, several different screens. So if you're going to watch this or if you are now watching this on a podcast, a video podcast, then you'll, you'll see us and Zev's here with me and uh, we'll have Cooper on in a little bit. And, and this is going to give us an opportunity to have three or four live guests on at a time and where the video podcast can, can see each of them so that they know who we're talking to and kind of get to know them visually as well as uh, by listening to the story. I'm going to tell you, uh, I love the fact that this is my radio show and I can do anything I want on it. So I'm going to use this radio show as a motivator for me personally, because I've decided that uh, when I stepped on the scale a little bit ago at 255 pounds, that it was time for me to lose some weight. That's That's been my, my kind of uh, point where I've decided that it's time. Um, and a, as I did this time when I saw the, the – two, five, five on the scale, I've decided I'm going to lose some weight. So what I'm going to do is every Friday when I get on the radio, I'm going to tell you guys how much I weigh. Does that mean I shouldn't have brought in that apple fritter yesterday? And that's exactly (laughs) why I didn't eat it. (laughs) So I'm going to tell you today when I got up, I weighed 247 pounds. So uh, next week, I'll tell you how much I weigh and the week after, and, and that's going to keep me motivated to make sure that I, I watch what I eat and I'm conscientious about that uh, because, you know, every everybody needs a little motivation. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people try to do a, a New Year's resolution, but I think the concept about a New Year's resolution is is that you're going to do it for a little while and then, then you're done. <laughs> so, uh, usually, I never even make one because I know it's usually going to get broken, but, but now I'm serious and, and I want to lose about 25, 30 pounds and, and I'll keep you guys posted. Now, what I'm going to offer to all of you listeners is if you want to get involved in this, email me at radio show at mcmillanusa.com with your name and how much you weigh every Friday morning before the radio show. And I will read your name and and how much you weigh so that everybody out there can be following your weight loss as well as mine. And that might keep you motivated to, uh, to stay on your diet and and reach your goals. So that's what I'm offering for you guys. So I know that's kind of off topic for this stuff, but Hey, you know, it's my show. (laughs) 
Okay. Had a great chat show. Um, really, first time, though, last year we kind of presented the MC3 stocks in our legend. Uh, this year we actually had them there. Uh, people were able to pick them up, handle them, look at them. I've got one here in the shop with me. I'm, I mean, in the studio, and, and I'm kind of showing it for the video uh, guys. Uh, it's really an awesome product. There is absolutely nothing like it on the market. And I, I mean that uh, wholeheartedly. There is no polymer slash plastic slash uh, anything other than a hand laminated fiberglass stock out there that can make the claims that this one does and give you a, a, the type of design that this one does. Uh, it's amazing. I'm extremely happy with the way it turned out. And I think uh, the reception at the show uh, bore that out. One of the coolest things that we've done is we've, we're going to offer this in BDL for the standard drop belly floor plate provided by Remington. And we're also going to offer it in detachable box magazine. And we have designed and have produced a polymer bottom metal uh, based uh, pretty closely around the Badger M5 uh, bottom metal for our stock. And what we're going to do is we're going to be able to offer our stock with an adjustable cheek piece, adjustable spacer system, detachable box magazine, and a magazine for $369. Kelly, that was the biggest seller. And, you know, I had people from Norway to Japan coming by and touching the McCube stock. And when I told them that it comes with the bottom metal and with the magazine, one fellow said, but I don't get it. Bottom metal, you know, is going to cost me over $300. How do you do it? And I said, exactly. That's why the value is there. So people love that. They also love the, the integral uh, cheek piece, the way that was designed. Uh, I know we talked about it once before in the radio show, but it's just absolutely amazing. I know there's a patent pending on that. Uh, if you'd show that to the audience, basically you just loosen the screws on the, uh, uh, on the spacer system, uh, bring them back just a tad, and then there's a ratcheting system that goes up and down on that cheek riser. So I'm just really excited to be taking orders for that. We've taken quite a few preliminary orders. So uh, as soon as we ship, there'll be a lot of happy folks out there. Okay, so much for uh, MC3 and the reception that we got at the SHOT Show. Uh, now I want to take this time to introduce another Team McMillan FDR shooter. I've got Derek Rogers here. Hi, Derek. You with us? I am. Well, thanks for being on the show. I'm really excited about it. I know you've been on the show before. You're an old hat. Uh, you know, you just take this with a grain of salt. But uh, I want to introduce you to all of our listeners as a member of Team McMillan. This is actually the first time that you've been on the show where you're a part of this newly formed um, F-Class FTR Team McMillan team. Uh, talk a little bit about some of your accomplishments so our listeners will know how you fit into the team and, and what your goals are for this season. Sure, Kelly. Um, well, some of the accomplishments I've had are, are winning some of the long-range matches and, and breaking some of the national records that are out there in, in F-Class specifically. Um, a lot of the, the F-Class community and shooters know that I've been able to win the Open Class Division as well as the FTR division at, at a national level, and uh, here recently, the World Championship in Canada. 
And uh, this past summer, you were a part of it. You were up there, and uh, I'm, I'm super excited to be a part of this team. Uh, but the ELR portion of our shooting um, has evolved as well into these very, very far shots out to and beyond two miles. So uh, it's always fun breaking, trying to get higher scores and break records. But uh, looking forward into 2018, obviously the, the bigger matches at Southwest Burger and the Nationals are, are always on the horizon as the, the big matches to uh, try to shoot well and shoot really well as a team together. I uh, remember talking to you. I think you mentioned to me that you actually started out shooting 50 cal. So yeah. <laughs> you, did, you didn't come from a sling background like a lot of the F-class shooters do. No, I, I kind of I started probably backwards. I started shooting 50 cals first, thinking that was the answer to shoot long range. Um, found out it was, wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be, and it w- really wasn't practical for the application at hand. Um, you know, big cartridge, heavy rifles, and it wasn't easy to carry. Uh, it just wasn't going to be a fit and a practical fit for hunting, and that's kind of uh, a spin-off on why I started shooting F-Class here locally in Albuquerque. And when I did that, then things evolved, and I was able to partner up with both Brad and Paul on the team in 2007 because they needed a shooter to help them with their team match at the Nationals that was held in Raton. So that's the first time I met those guys, and, um, you know, of course, we, we hit it off, and the rest is sort of history when it comes to uh, the team. You know, we all have a special bond and a synergy as a, as a complete team that you just don't replace. So it's been a nice uh, run for 10 years. Well, I have to say this, and, and I want everybody to know that all of the guys on the team have my respect. They represent what I want Team McMillan to be and to uh, for people to see when they see a guy wearing a Team McMillan shirt to know that that guy represents all of the qualities that I look for, not only in the products and service, but in the people that we associate with. But I, I got to say, Derek, if, if there was one guy who epitomized what I would want everyone on my team to be, uh, you know, if we could clone you, you would be the man. I, I think you're such a nice guy. I don't know anybody who's ever said a bad word about you. And I want the listeners to know that because it's important for them to know that you're probably the least arrogant, the least brag, uh, you know, person to brag. One of the most humble people I know. And for somebody who's really as good as you are at what you're doing, uh, it's a breath of fresh air to see somebody who doesn't take himself too seriously. And I, I appreciate that. Well, I really appreciate you saying that, Kelly. Uh, gosh, I'm always humbled by the, the level that this, this sport has evolved to. Uh, not very long ago, you know, mid-190s and an FTR gun was outstanding. And, and anymore, it seems like if you're not shooting in that kind of a level, you're, you're, you're really not in the game. And it makes it difficult. So uh, I'm as realistic as it comes. Uh, you, it's very difficult to win every match because the competition is, is just that good. So there's no, there's no need to brag. You let the chips fall where they fall. The score will speak for itself at the end of the match, and I've been fortunate to come out on top on several of them. Um, but, you know, it's on to the next one, and you, you, you can't dwell on your past. You've got to move forward, and 
I've just been very fortunate and blessed to be able to win a few. We've got a couple of minutes left, and I want you to talk about your daughters, their their shooting experiences, and their hunting. I mean, you talked about not being able to hunt with a 50 cal. That didn't really make sense, but you're an avid hunter, and I know you've got young girls that you get out in the field all the time, which are credible shooters and hunters both. Tell us a little bit about it in about two minutes. Uh, okay, so I have two daughters, 14 and 9 years old. They both love to hunt. I put them in and try to go take them. In fact, we're going to be leaving here just after Christmas to uh, do a cow elk hunt uh, down in the Gila in southern New Mexico. But they, they've they taken up the sport. They, they enjoy the outdoors. They enjoy shooting and the marksmanship aspect of it. My oldest daughter shoots some F-class with me. Um, but it's nice. It, it gives us a chance to, to get a break from the, the cell phones and the you know, the iPads and computers and so forth, and, you know, get out there and actually have a conversation with your child. It's, it's huge for me, so I appreciate just try, getting them out there and um, try to put them in for anything and everything we can go hunt. Um, and they've been brought up doing it, so it's not foreign for them. It's probably a little strange for their friends, but um, it's something we do as a family, and, and we enjoy it. So we, we eat the meat, and we're not worried about the horns, but um, um, it's, it's fun for us. Well, I know how much you love your family, and I've met your lovely wife, Hope. Um, I, I really appreciate you being on the show. Um, more than that, I really appreciate you being the man that you are, Derek, and, and a guy I can call a friend, and definitely want to thank you for being on Team McMillan. Uh, we're going to have a great year this year. Oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm super excited, and, and you and Zev have been great. Um, I, I consider you guys family, so uh, um, I'm looking for a great year together. Okay, thanks. Appreciate you being on the show. Thanks. Talk to you later. Man, every time I talk to that guy, I just get more and more impressed with what a terrific guy he is, how humble he is, and uh, the least arrogant guy I know. Uh, And I want you to understand how really good he is. Uh, He's the 2015 national champion, FTR um, champion, and set a national record that still stands. He's also the uh, 2016 national Canadian. Uh, anyway, I forgot. Jeez, I should have written it down. Um, but he's also the 2017 world individual FTR champion, uh, as well as the 2017 King of Two Miles. So when I say he's good, he's really good. Uh, and he's the only man that's ever um, won both the national open championship and the national FTR championship. So, not only can he shoot off a bipod, he can shoot just about anywhere he wants to. So. Okay, now we're going to get right into our first guest. I've got a good friend of mine that I've known for quite a while. Uh, you know, it's really cool when you meet somebody outside of your normal habitat. You know, when I've been working in the firearms industry for over 40 years. And so when I have neighbors or people that I meet outside of the firearms industry, rarely does it happen that I find a guy who really is a gun guy who shares our passion. And so it's kind of missing from that part of my life. But, but I met this guy uh, many years ago at a dance convention. Uh, his name is Jack Smith, and he happens to be one of the very best DJs for West Coast Swing. Now, if you don't know about West Coast Swing, you can Google it and find out about it. But it's a, it's a dance that, um, you know, originally was designed to dance to blues. So there's a lot of blues music uh, in today's dance. It, we combine that with some, 
you know, hip hop and some modern uh, rock and uh, all kinds of music, but anything four, four time. And, and Jack has been one of the very best DJs in a long time. And I want to bring him on now. Jack, are you with us? Yeah, I'm here. Well, thanks for being on the show. I'm really excited to talk to you. I, I know that, uh, you know, when we found out we had something in common other than dancing, it was kind of cool for me because I rarely ever get to share what I do with other people outside of this arena. So uh, when somebody appreciated uh, the fact that I was in the firearms business and had a firearm company and manufactured fiberglass gun stocks, it was kind of cool. Uh, so yeah, it was very cool to let people know a little bit about you. Why don't you just tell us where you grew up, how you got into firearms, what your love for, <clears throat> for firearms was. Okay. Uh, I grew up in Southern California in the San Bernardino area. My grandfather was a, a big gun fan. He shot, he hunted, he, you know, just for sport and stuff like that. And probably between four and five years old, he started introducing me and my brother to guns. Um, we grew up with him our whole lives. He always had a pistol hanging over his bed frame. It was never an issue. We were taught to respect them. We were taught to hunt. We took the gun safe courses. He took us out practice shooting. We knew how to take apart every gun that we shot, put it back together, even through blindfolding. And um, it was just, it was a great experience growing up. And my, you know, after shooting we did a lot of bird hunting down here in Arizona, uh, in Gila Bend and down in that area. And after uh, having such a great time at that, I got into competitive shooting uh, with the International Handgun Metallic Silhouette Association. Um, if you don't know what that is, they use big bore pistols with wild car wildcat cartridges, basically rifles in pistol form. And you shoot with iron sights, and you shoot anywhere from 100 to 500 yards, different size targets. And um, I really was enjoying that, you know, throughout my late teen years and up into my early 20s. And uh, I did a little bit of uh, self-defense competitions, too. But that was, uh, you know, it just it, guns have always been a part of my life. And they've always been a, a hugely positive part of my life. You know, there's, there's been absolutely zero negatives as far as owning, shooting, and being part of the gun culture, I guess you could say. So, uh, you know, thanks to my grandfather and my parents for allowing that to happen and, you know, not being the scary cats of a lot of disease parents and saying, no, you can't do that because you might get hurt. You know, we were taught how to do it, and we learned growing up that, you know, they're not toys. They're, they're tools that you use for specific things, and uh, they don't hurt you if you, don't, if you use them correctly. You know, in our generation, uh, the fact that we were taught by our parents or our grandparents was a pretty typical thing. But I'm finding a lot of guys in their uh, mid to late 20s, early 30s, and I ask them how they got into firearms. They say, well, you know, my dad didn't shoot, but I just had this desire to learn how to uh, shoot and get involved with guns after I got out of high school, and that's how I got in. So, uh, I, you know, I really like hearing the stories about the family aspect of it because that's the way this in this entire industry developed not only did we teach our kids to uh, shoot and hunt and do all the things that we did but it was the family oriented businesses that actually continued on 
and made the products. And like the McMillan family, who not just me and, and my kids, but my father and his brothers and had been in the firearms industry since nine, the, the early 60s. So, so exactly. it's just the way the industry is. And I really like that. Uh, um, so you, and I also enjoyed the fact that you explained a little bit about metallic silhouette, but uh, handgun, but I think you left out the most important thing. You said you shoot, uh, you know, at the targets out to 500 yards. So I'm sure everybody's thinking you're standing up there in the typical pistol style <laughs> with the gun out in front of you, shooting at a target that's no. 500 yards away. Explain to them no. how you position yourself to be able to make that shot. Yeah, you um, you basically shoot what they call Creedmoor. You lay down on the ground, you lay the gun off of your, uh, your leg, whichever right-handed or left-handed you are. You have big blast leathers that hold off to it. And... Uh, you, but you're using iron sights, and you know everything's right off of your leg and your hand, and you're shooting 500 yards away. You know, in fact, a bunch of us who, as we got better and were hitting, you know, perfect scores on the on the course most of the time, we actually went over to the rifle courses and we were attempting to shoot up to a thousand yards away with iron sights. And uh, you know, understand these are big bore pistols. I mean, I was shooting. Uh, a 300 Savage Wildcat cartridge neck down to seven millimeter when I was competing with the biggest gun that I was shooting and then uh, using M16 cartridges um, or mini 14 cartridges, the 223s necked up to seven millimeter. Seven millimeter seemed to be a, uh, a really great uh, bullet at the time. I don't know if it still is in that arena or not, but I also shot a 44 Magnum, you know, and that one we actually stood up you know, we had we did have a, a division that was standing up and shooting all of these with a revolver, and uh, so. But most of the time, it was it was Creedmoor lying down on your back, shooting across your leg. And a lot of those guns that were uh, almost all of them were bolt action guns. Correct, bolt action or uh, the breakaway like the Thompson Contender. Yeah, yeah, single shot. Uh, yeah, we right. we made a lot of stocks for the uh, silhouette shooters and in the rear grip and the, the center grip version of what we originally started out as, as an XP 100, but anyone that made that really short action, uh, pistol, uh, bolt action that, that could build a gun on it. They, they got real popular in that arena because, you know, to be able to build a, a pistol that's able to shoot as well as a rifle, you just build it like a rifle. Yeah. yeah I had one of yours. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> good to know. Good crazy. to know. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was crazy. So th that that got you up to where you were, you know, got family things happening and you stepped away for a little bit. But yeah. you always maintained a love for firearms. And did you always carry uh, a gun for protection? Most of the time, even sadly, even though it was illegal in California have a concealed weapons permit uh, for a period of time, but um, I've just always sort of felt that the need was there, and especially in some of the areas where I was traveling, because obviously being a DJ and carrying cash and things like that, it was it was sort of a necessity. Uh, don't brag about it, it just is part of my life, and uh, luckily now living in Arizona, which we just moved here in October, is something that I can do regularly and don't have to worry about anymore part of the reason that I moved to Arizona. Well, I'm happy to have you as a neighbor uh, with my home up uh, outside of Prescott, so uh, we'll get to spend more time together. But I know you had an incident 
that I think uh, I think it's important for the people and especially those who listen to the show because a lot of their lives center around firearms, but it's competitive shooting or it's hunting. And I want you to share what happened to you and how that's affected your life so that these people hear your story specifically. Okay. Well, you know, what it came down to, in fact, you and I were talking about this. We always hear about the bad things that guns do, you know, the school shootings and things like that, which in reality are, 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 you know, they're, they're horrible and you hope that they never happen and things like that. None of us who, who shoot firearms want those things to happen. But I was in a situation where I was, uh, in my truck with my girlfriend at the time, back in my, uh, it was in my early twenties. And, um, we were sitting in the truck and a guy, I didn't know at the time who he was, came up to the side of my truck and pulled the window out of my truck and started stabbing me. Um, I had a gun in my glove box. Uh, he was, he had me pinned down cause she was in the passenger seat and I couldn't get away from this. Um, I tried everything I could to get out of it without having to do what I ended up doing, but I reached over into the glove box. I, I was forced to pull my gun out and I shot him. That gave me the opportunity to get out of the car and go around and find out, you know, and at the time, the girlfriend that I had, it was her ex-husband. Um, he had followed her, still wanted to be with her, and he was going to try to take out whoever he could take out that was seeing her. And um, she yelled that it was her son's father, and I did not shoot him again. But, you know, we went had to go through all the process of, uh, you know, I, I drove home, she drove home, I drove home and told him, you know, that uh, I had shot somebody, and we got the right authorities out there, went through all the process, and... Um, Truthfully, something I don't hope I never have to go through again. But the fact of the matter is, is that I would have died 36 years ago had it not been for the fact that I was carrying a weapon. Well, and, I'm really uh, happy to uh, to say that uh, you were armed when you needed to be. Uh, Zev and I were just talking the other day, and and with Kevin Finley, Kevin Finley Fishing, uh, yep. we all carry. And one of the reasons that I do is not that I'm particularly afraid of any situation that I might get myself into. I'm a pretty big guy and I can handle most situations and, and not a lot of negative stuff comes my way. But I would feel really bad if I was in a, a, in a situation to where if I had my firearm on me, and I could have stopped the situation and I didn't have it and something bad happened, I would feel really bad. So I, I feel more compelled to, to carry and, and be armed so that I can protect not only myself, but those around me too. And, and I know Zev agreed. He said, you know, that's exactly how I say it because that's, you know, I'm not worried about somebody coming after me, but you know, the people around exactly me. Exactly the way I feel. 100% yeah, the way I feel. It's to protect so, the people around me and the possible situation that might arise that is something that one, you know, I couldn't handle by myself. You're in California. This happened in California. It happened a, a few years ago. But um, tell me what it was like in dealing with the authorities. How did they treat you? Um, you, you sometimes hear some horror stories about the, the victim end up being, you know, accused yeah. of, of a crime. So it, it, it was overall, it was a, 
it was a positive experience because the let me separate this into there's the, the police side of it and then there's the litigation side of it. The police side of it was amazing. All of the detectives, all of the police that I dealt with, they were all unbelievably positive and unbelievably on my side. You did what you were supposed to do. You, you have no worries. Don't worry about it. In fact, I had one detective who um, just got into a screaming match with the DA because when it, when it all came out after the fact, it was, you know, I'm six foot tall. I weighed 200 and some odd pounds. And the guy that was breaking the window out of my truck was like five foot six. And, you know, this tiny guy, but the fact of the matter is he was stabbing me through the, you know, the side of my truck. I just, I didn't have any control over that situation. But um, the DA was like, well, why didn't he just try to fight him off? And I heard this sitting out in the lobby, the detective just went, he was freaking stabbing him. What do you expect him to do? You know, I mean, he yelled it. He was, he was completely pissed off at the whole situation. But um, I, I, I would be afraid that it wouldn't go that way today in California. The climate in California has changed so much in the last 35 years as far as guns go. It's just, you know, I mean, shoot, if you're a, and again, I'm sorry, but that's part of the reason I left California. If you are in any way a gun advocate, you, you're looked down upon in California. People just don't get the fact that this is a tool. It is nothing more than a tool. It's nothing more than a fork or a spoon or a knife, you know, that you cut your steak with. It's just something you use as a tool. When used improperly, any of those things can kill somebody. But it's just, it's gone crazy in California, which is, you know, the final straw for me leaving is that I just can't take the political climate that's there and the way they're moving things. Well, I'm, uh, let me get this straight. You were being stabbed. You uh-huh. did everything you could do to get out of the car, but in, in the event that you couldn't, you reached in the glove compartment, grabbed your gun and shot the guy. And right. you ended up in, I'm assuming civil court being sued by the guy you shot? Yeah, he tried to. Um, in, we ended up uh, settling out of court because at the time I was, my parents were, I was living with my parents at the time and my mom was just losing it over the whole thing. It turns out that the guy that was stabbing me was part of the Mexican mafia. And it was a, there was just a lot of things that needed to go away. So basically, he ended up getting time. I don't remember exactly how many years he got. Um, he had to reimburse me for the damage done to my truck, to me, you know, the, the medical bills and things like that. And um, he pleaded out, you know, like they, they try to do to most cases like this. He pled out to some lesser crime and got some lesser, you know, instead of attempted murder, he pled out to, you know, assault or something of that nature. Okay, and, uh, I, I feel better about that. I was thinking he was suing you, but th- this was a criminal um, case where yeah. they were trying to convict him of the crime that he committed. Correct, and they, you know, okay. basically what it came down to is is had we had we pursued it further, but like I said, my mo- my mother was was having some severe issues about the whole situation, and it was really causing some severe stress on her, and I decided to to let them plead it out. There's no way he could have. I mean, he stabbed me. He drove his car to Oceanside, went to the hospital, told him that five guys jumped him and one of them shot him. But he left the knife that he stabbed me with in his car 
And they found that with my blood. And, you know, it was it was a slam dunk, but it was just going to take forever because as if you've ever been in a criminal or even a civil case, they, they just try to run them out as long as they can. Absolutely. Well, Jack, I'm really glad you shared that story. I'm glad you let everybody hear that, you know, not everything that happens, with, you know, and, and we know, uh, we hear, and there are publications out there that try to present all the good stuff that happens when people are armed. Um, and, and so I'm glad, particularly glad that you're still alive and that uh, it saved your life because uh, obviously I didn't know you at the time and uh, you become a friend of mine. So I'm really glad that you're still here. Uh, I also want to yep. thank you for coming on the show and sharing that. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your, your busy schedule and especially when you're not feeling well. But I think it's important that all of our listeners uh, get to hear that story. As do I. I think it's. A, I think you have a great, great forum here to uh, get information out that's positive, and uh, hopefully, it will continue for many, many years to come. Okay, thanks, Jack, and uh, I look forward to getting together with you next time we're up in Prescott. I'll give you a call and let you know. All right. Have a great day. Talk. To okay. You. See you soon. Okay, I'm going to ask all of our listeners to stick around for the next minute and a half or so while we run a couple of commercials, and we'll be right back with our next guest. for exciting video content live and on demand visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else that's voiceamerica.tv tune in now for over 40 years mcmillan usa has been at the leading edge of the gun stock industry the company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form function and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks from tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, McMillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the McMillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at McMillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit mcmillanusa.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit mcmillanusa.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. 
we're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, appreciate you to sit through those commercials and uh, being with us. Sorry about that for our listeners. Um, Cooper, who is very good at what she does, had her mic on, so uh, now she turned it up. Would you quit that? <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, what I'd like to tell you before we get right to our next guest is that McMillan has struck up a deal with the Burger Southwest Nationals to be their official sponsor of the scorers room. And what that means is that we're going to provide the guy who's going to keep all of the score. And as a result, um, we're going to have access to all of the scores as soon as they come out of the score room. And for the first time in, in history that I know of, everybody who wants to find out, who's doing what, what the scores are, who's winning, who's shooting the great uh, uh, matches. We'll be able to look on the McMillan Fiberglass Stocks Facebook page. They'll be able to look on Kelly McMillan's personal Facebook page. Are we going to put them on ELRHQ as well? Okay, ELRHQ. So we're going to have several places out there, all of the McMillan Company's Facebook pages, where you can actually go look at the uh, the scores, and they'll be posted on our Facebook page before they even post them on the board outside the scores room. They've given us that responsibility, which I think is really cool. And, and you can imagine how much response we've had from some of the guys who were spread out all over the country who, who wait for one person to post their scorecard because they happen to be shooting, and they might get to see four or five other guys' scores, and that's it. So now – Everybody, we're going to post every card from every match every day. So if you really want to keep up with what's going on at the Burger National, keep up with us. Cooper, anything else you want to tell? Uh, no, you pretty much covered it. I'll just reiterate that uh, for up to the minute stats, you can get it on McMillan Fiberglass Stocks, the Facebook page, and then also our Instagram page, which is McMillan underscore stocks. And then also uh, ELRHQ, his the Facebook page and Instagram as well at ELRHQ. And additionally, this month we have a Valentine's Day sale. So sign up for a newsletter at MacmillanUSA.com and keep an eye out for the email. Get something special for your someone special. And yeah. Oh, and you guys are having a booth, right, at ELRHQ. So come by and say hello. It'll have Zev, Kelly, and then me there as well. Actually, we're going to have a full Macmillan booth. And if you haven't seen all of the new stocks that we've come out with in the last year, and especially those for F-Class, there's four or five of them. 
you really need to come by the tent out there and make sure you take a look at them. I'm going to have rifles out there as well so that you can see what the gun looks like all built and put together and, and know what your gun is going to look like when that's done. So um, be out there with that. And Zev will have his own tent with ELRHQ.com. I'll have um, really cool stuff out there like... Um, so we're going to have the we're going to have the target vision system out there, and we've actually been authorized uh, by the match to put a target uh, vision system on one of the lanes. And uh, in our ELR HQ booth, we're going to have a, a tablet that's showing exactly what's going on down there. So that's pretty exciting. That's a first for them. And also, they've given us the ability to fly a drone during that time. Uh, because of the time you gave me last year to go get a license. So now that I'm a UAS pilot, uh, they're actually allowing us to fly there as well. So it's going to be really exciting with a lot of good tech and a lot of good content on uh, Cooper's managed uh, social media pages. So we're pretty proud. Okay, thanks, guys. I really appreciate you helping me out with that. Uh, also, for all of you video podcast enthusiasts, um, absolutely certain that over the next uh couple, three weeks, you'll see a lot of footage from the drones. We're going to video some stuff out there. Uh, we'll also have the ability to capture some of the, uh, the target vision stuff as it happens, and then you'll be able to see how that works. So if you're normally just a, a, a radio listener and you really didn't think you would get into watching the podcast, you may want to make sure that you turn over to the podcast so that you get to see all this cool stuff that we're going to be doing. So um, now that we've taken care of the business, I want to get right to our next guest. Um, Gray Thornton is probably responsible for the health and welfare of not only the American wildlife, but wildlife across the world more than anyone that I know of. He's been involved in, in just about every organization that you can think of that is responsible for planning uh, habitat control and making sure that, that our, our herds and herds around the world of game animals are as healthy as they can possibly be. Right now, he is the president and CEO of the Wild Sheep Foundation. Gray, thanks for being on the show with me. Hey, Kelly, great uh, great to be on with you. I'm here at the uh, Safari Club International Convention in Las Vegas, and it's, uh, it's a great, uh, great celebration of uh, our heritage and, and what we do, and uh, it's just good to be on the program. Man, I tell you what, I miss that. You know, when I had the rifle company, I would display there every year, and at Dallas Safari Club as well, and at the Sheep Show, but... Um, now that I don't have the rifle company, it doesn't really fit with McMillan fiberglass stocks as well. And the fact that that SHOT Show was just last week uh, was w the only reason why I'm not there hanging out. My wife says, hey, I missed the uh, SCI. When we can we go? And I said, well, how about this year? And she said, when is it? And I told her, and she said, nope, I'm not coming back to Vegas so soon. So uh, I envy you being there. Uh, what I'd well, like for you, you know, to do is to tell our, our listeners and our viewers a little bit about who you are, how you got involved in, in hunting, and, and why this has been such a passion for you. You, you know, it, 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 it's really funny because uh, there's a nexus between how I got into this industry and McMillan stocks, which is, uh, which is crazy. But, you know, I, I, when, when I, I moved from uh, – 
1990, I went to uh, went to work for Safari Club International and, and was building their their membership program, their chapter development program. And I, I will tell you the nexus with the stocks. Uh, and then in uh, 1970 or 1997, went to Dallas Safari Club. Was with them for 11 years and uh, loved that organization. And in 2008, uh, came to the to the Wild Sheep Foundation, but. It's kind of funny. I, it, the Sheep Foundation was uh, was based in Cody, Wyoming. Uh, I've moved the headquarters to Bozeman, Montana, about two years ago. But uh, Jim Zumbo is a good friend of mine and lives up in Wapiti, just uh, just a little east uh, east of Cody. And, and Jim and I were chatting. We were actually in an Anchorage airport. Both he and I were at a, I think it was the APHA meeting or something like that. And Jim goes, great. How did you get into this industry? And I said, Jim, I got into this industry about how you got out of it. Black guns. Uh, I grew up in, in California. Um, and in the 80s, uh, there was the Stockton Schoolyard Massacre. A guy named Patrick Purdy uh, used a you know, an, an HK uh, or AK-47 wannabe and uh, shot up the schoolyard. And, and California started down their path of, uh, you know, draconian gun control. And I, as a young 20-some-odd-year-old kid in the 80s, uh, working for Xerox Corporation, was hanging out at my local gun shop saying, we need to do something. And a Xerox customer of mine and then a dentist in Bakersfield, California, started an organization called Valley Coalition for Constitutional Rights. And we, uh, we showed Kelly the, uh, uh, the lies that were happening in the California Assembly and the legislature at the time. And, and we, uh, we started a movement in, in California. And then, lo and behold, uh, I, uh, I then moved to... At that time, Unisys Corporation. It was, I think it was Burroughs back then. But uh, sitting in the sitting in my uh, my office, going, "Geez, I'm spending about 40 hours a week working in a in a uh, political action committee. Um, you know, fighting uh, you know the anti-gunners at the time. Um, was a member of Safari Club International. I said, "Geez, I'm uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna apply for this position that SCI had opening." I had just built a Ruger 300 Win Mag on a Macmillan black stock and interviewed with SCI, and they said, well, how soon can you start? And Kelly, I said, oh, man, you know, I've got this elk hunt planned. I'm, at that time, I think it was 28 years old or something like that. I had this elk hunt planned in Colorado. I got this brand-new Ruger 300 Win Mag that I've got in a in – a, in a new McMillan stock and I want to hunt, you know, elk and mule deer. And, uh, I told the, the SCI guys, well, I got an elk and mule deer hunt plan. So after that, I can come to work with you. And the executive director at the time said, you know what, in this organization, that's a valid excuse. So crazy enough, back in 1990, I started my career in the, uh, the wildlife conservation and hunting industry, uh, making sure that I didn't go to work before I could use my McMillan stock Ruger M77. So there you go. There's the nexus. That's a great story. I can imagine what you would have told them if you were applying for a, a, a job in corporate America, even in, in today's times, telling them that you had a hunt planned would be probably the very last thing you would tell them because that would almost ensure that they weren't going to hire you. 
Yeah, no doubt. But, you know, thank, thank goodness it was SCI at the time. And they said, you know, that's a valid excuse. And so I would come off the mountain and the, the executive director back then, a guy named James Morehouse, uh, still a good friend of mine was calling me and my wife was saying, Hey, you know, SCI is calling you. I said, I can't call them back because I told them that I'd give them two weeks notice of my current job. And, and, uh, I don't want to miss my hunt. So crazy deal, but long time ago. And, uh, and here we are today. Um, president CEO of the wild sheep foundation, a, uh, a fantastic organization as, uh, as are, uh, these, these other groups that, uh, I've been involved with Dallas park club, SCI, um, you know, it, it's, it's really what, uh, what makes conservation and, and what makes, uh, the North American wildlife conservation model in the United States happen. Well, if, if any of our listeners have not been to a Dallas Safari Club or SCI or even a Wild Sheep Foundation, and I will tell you what, I was at a Wild Sheep Foundation in 2008 and uh, no, I think it was, yeah, it was 2000, early 2009 and I was tired of standing in the booth. So I decided to go into the ballroom and sit down and they had an auction going on and a sale for a, a hunt had been donated by uh, Burtis Gerhardt of Damuqua Safaris. It was a hunt for two hunters for 10 days with two animals for each hunter. And the uh, bidding stalled at $1,500. And I said, shoot, I'd do that. So I bid 2000 and as it turns out, and you know what was happening in 2009, everybody yeah. was really concerned about their money and, you know, their 401s were going down. And uh, so not a lot of people were taking these hunts, even though they're tremendous values when you talk about hunting in Africa. But I had never even thought about hunting in Africa before. But here I am, have this hunt for two guys in, uh, in 2009. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm an African hunter. Well, at the time, I had the rifle company, so it made sense. I got to write it off, and I got to take a bunch of my guns over there. I took a really good friend of mine with me, uh, uh, Andy Duffy, and he got to experience hunting in, in South Africa as well as me for the first time. And I've been back. I mean, you know the story. It, when you go hunting in Africa, the very first question is, when are you going back? Because yeah, everybody's going back. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, you're 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 planning your return trip on the on the flight back. That that uh, I've uh, I've been fortunate enough since 1991 to go to Southern Africa 34 times. So it's it's in my blood too, Kelly. Well, I appreciate all the work you do and all of the organizations that that work on conservation around the world. Right now, let's talk about the Sheep uh, Foundation. Uh, I do know that Arizona has the Arizona Desert Bighorn Sheep Society, and I don't know if it has any affiliation with the, the Wild Sheep Foundation, but I will tell you that those guys run a top-notch organization. They do as much for habitat, for relocating sheep, and for maintaining water and, and habitat here in Arizona as anybody does for any other species. And I really like that because it wasn't very long ago that, that we might have had 12 sheep in this entire state. And now we have flourishing herds in about six or seven different mountain ranges and, and across the state. 
Yeah, Arizona Desert Bighorn Sheep Society is a fabulous organization. They're an affiliate of the Wild Sheep Foundation. We're we're kind of the papa bear. We have chapters of uh, Wild Sheep Foundation, then we have affiliates, uh, and and uh, ADDBS is is one of our affiliates and done a, an exceptional job. You know, if you look at if you look at wild sheep and, and you know North American wild sheep in in, in North America, um, it is it is one of the most incredible conservation success stories that we have. And Kelly, it is one. Hundred percent funded, accomplished by hunters. Um, you know, you, you you look at uh, it, you know, and and, and I would I would say the turkey uh, the turkey comeback is about the same. But you know, back in the nineteen uh, you know or eighteen hundreds, uh, you know, turn of the nineteenth century, there was about one to two million wild sheep in North America, and that and that and. and in, in this particular case, I'm just going to talk about bighorn sheep, bighorn sheep and desert bighorn sheep, about one to two million. Uh, by the 1960s, uh, through admittedly overhunting, uh, because, damn it, they tasted good, uh, but primarily disease uh, spread by bringing domestic sheep and goats into wild sheep range, we had decimated uh, the population of uh, desert bighorn sheep and bighorn sheep in Canada, U.S., and Mexico, down to about 25,000 animals. So from 1 to 2 million to 25,000. Uh, due to the efforts of the Wild Sheep Foundation, organizations like Arizona Desert Bighorn Sheep Society, we have brought back those numbers threefold to 85,000. But there's a heck of a lot that we can do more. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right uh, with the, you know, the Arizona Game and Fish Department, uh, you know, the, the uh, uh, Arizona uh, Desert Bighorn Sheep Society just, you know, done a phenomenal job of putting and keeping wild sheep on the mountain. Uh, we, uh, we have moved, uh, the Sheep Foundation and our chapters and affiliates, we have moved about 24,000 bighorn sheep in about 1,400 actions, you know, literally trapping and transplanting them to repatriate areas that uh, were historical bighorn sheep or desert bighorn sheep habitat, uh, but were extirpated. And uh, it cost about $5,000 to move a sheep when you helicopter uh, capture it, you know, a, a net gun, put a GPS collar on it. And so you can, you know, you do the math, uh, 24,000 sheep times 5,000 bucks is a heck of a lot of money, but that's what the organizations like the Wild Sheep Foundation and Arizona Desert Bighorn Sheep Society do. Hey, Gray, I really hate to tell you this, but they're really hitting me to uh, wrap this up. We're, we're up against the, the end of our show. But I would like to ask you, if you would, please, stay on the line, and we'll continue this conversation for our podcast. Um, I want to let sounds, all of our great. listeners know on the radio show that we really appreciate having you here and that if you want to hear the rest of this conversation with Gray Thornton, uh, you can look up our podcast on ELRHQ.com uh, face, um, YouTube channel. Is that where we're going to have it? That's correct. It's ELR space HQ. Okay. So you can see it there. Um, thanks, guys. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week from the Southwest Burger Nationals. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. 
Be sure to come back for more next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk again next week.